Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. That's funny. So we're in week two of this series called The Mount, and essentially what we're doing is we're looking at the greatest sermon that was ever preached, that was preached by our Lord and Savior Jesus. And uh, we're actually not looking at the full message that he delivered, we're looking at the preamble to it, like the opening comments, the things Jesus said to get everybody's attention, and you might know them as something called the Beatitudes, okay? And so we're looking at these eight Beatitudes, and you need to understand Jesus is putting them on the front side. Uh, and I think it's to kind of, if you watch Jesus' ministry, he says stuff just to kind of stir up controversy. There's times Jesus said things that left the pastors and the religious leaders of the day, the Bible said it left them muttering to themselves. That doesn't necessarily mean they were talking to each other. They were talking to themselves like, can that be right? Is that really, what did he just say? You know, just muttering. And I think Jesus uses this tactic here to get everybody's attention at this big message. He's up on this mountainside and he's preaching. And what Jesus is saying is very countercultural, okay? It's very countercultural and it's, it's kind of what we would call the upside down ways of Jesus' teaching, okay? But the, you need to understand, Jesus isn't like a lot of us where we say things but don't live them out. Jesus lived out the things that he taught. He was the perfect example of those things. And his disciples, who spent time with him, began to understand the goal of being a disciple isn't just coming to church and checking off a list and saying, done, I read my Bible today, done. The goal of being a follower of Jesus, of being a Christian, is literally to become like Jesus. And as Christ followers today, that's what we want to do. Amen, everybody? We want to become more like Jesus. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he he must increase, right? That, that this is what has to happen. Of the disciples, when Jesus was, had already died and risen from the dead and gone on to heaven, it was said of the disciples, they could tell that he had been with Jesus. That's our goal. We want people to look at us and go, there's something different about you, and I can tell you've been t- spending time with Jesus. That's at least my goal. And so in order to do that, what I'm asking you to do in this series, I'm going to probably ask you every week, lean in. Take notes. Some of you, you're not note takers. Guess what? Never better day than today than to begin to be a note taker, right? Some of you come in with your notebooks, and that's cool. But guess what? I've removed all excuses. On the back of those Connect cards, if you flip them over, there's a whole section that says notes. You don't have to turn those in. You can keep those for yourself. But the reason I say take notes is we show up every, if we show up every Sunday expecting God to speak to us, do you know what will happen? He will. Shocking. He'll speak to you. He'll give you something. You'll walk away going, man, I need to make a movement. I need to make an adjustment in my life. So if you come ready to take notes, God will speak something to you. And even if it's not for today, maybe, maybe a week from now, maybe a month from now, maybe a year from now, you'll look back at some of the stuff that you journaled and said, God, this is the moment that everything changed for me. And I didn't even realize this was the, the strategic inflection point in my life. Thank you for it. Come on. So, so I, I believe that, that God has something for you today. And I, honestly, I've never studied, and I've never preached this series before ever. I've never preached the Beatitudes before. I, I've, I've taken pieces and preached these verses, but never as a series like this. And I'm diving in and learning so much myself that I'm winding up blessed in the middle of the week. So I can't wait for you all to hear this message. It's good. It's good. I'm just saying. It's really impacted me deeply this week. So whether you all like it or not, this is like my fourth or fifth time hearing it. I'm going to be blessed, and I'm going to get mine. So 
I'm just, yeah, Jimmy's going to get everything, right? Because Jimmy gets all the free stuff. Everything's already been paid for. Again, you had to be here last week, so all right. So lean in today. Lean in every week. Be ready. God's got something for you in it. And so let's get after it. Now, in this series, we started with two observations about each one of the Beatitudes, okay? And I'll, I'll share them with you this week again. Is that each and every single one of them start off with blessed are the blank, right? They start off with blessed. Now, that word blessed, we oftentimes think of it as blessed within, like, you know, the context of stuff, right? But that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about having a nicer car, a nicer house, having money in your pocket, you're going on vacation, you're living a life, a lavish life and a life of comfort, hashtag blessed. It's not what we're talking about. Some of you think blessed, a better translation of that word would be happy. So happy are, blank, blank, and then and, and it goes on from there, right? But happiness, I think we get wrong because a lot of our happiness is based on happenings. If things are going good, then we're happy, right? But when things aren't going good, we aren't happy. We're, we're, we're happy when things are going well in our relationships. We're happy when the stock market's doing well. We're happy when gas prices are down. We're happy when stuff lines up with, us, with what we want. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not that kind of happiness. So, so, so it's not a joy or a blessedness based on stuff, and it's not a happiness based on happenings. It's a happiness and a joy that flows from something that is supernatural, something that is beyond this earth, because everything on this earth is temporary. No, it flows from the eternal God who loves us, understanding that he is good, understanding that he is for us, and he longs to be in relationship with you, that he's not angry at you, that he it wants good things for you. Oh my goodness. When you get into scripture and you begin to see who God is, there is a joy and a peace and a happiness that the world can't take away from you. And when everything's going wrong, you can have this joy and this peace. When your relationships aren't aligning with, aligning with what you think is right and what is good and what would normally make you happy, you can still have joy. Oh, you ain't saying nothing now. You can. They're like so blessed, happy are those. And then each one of the Beatitudes ends with, with a statement, for theirs is. Blessed are blank, for theirs is. What Jesus is saying is there's a possibility here. That if you are this, then you can have that. He's talking about the stuff that you can have that most Christians walk through their Christian life and never have. The reason is, is because most of us settle for fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll let Jesus pay for my sins, and I'll accept him as Lord and Savior, but I'm not doing anything else. Jesus, don't get all up in my relationships. Jesus, don't go get all up in my finances and in my mental health and in my attitudes and the way that I talk to my spouse and the way that I deal with my kids. Jesus, don't get all up in that business. Don't get into my past and my traumas and my hurts, all that stuff. I'm, it's just, it's fine. And we walk through life broken. Well, we're not gonna spend eternity in hell, but we sure are walking out hell on earth. And Jesus is like, there's more. This is what Jimmy talked about last week. Jesus paid for a whole lot of stuff, and it wasn't just so that you can have eternity in heaven. It's a full and fulfilled life here on earth. That's what he's offering. And so there's a possibility here that's attached to each one of these, and I really love that. Last week, we looked at the message, the first beatitude that said, blessed are the poor in spirit, which sounds very countercultural to all of us, right? Because you're like, man, I don't want to be poor. Anybody ever been poor? I've been poor. I've been broke, I've been bankrupt, I, I've been in a place where I had two nickels to rub together. They took my car, they took everything from me, right? 
I've been there. I have errand along. I've been that guy, Jimmy. Lost it all. It's funny now. It wasn't funny then. I like it better where I'm at because being poor is not fun. So you're like, how can you be blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize that they are destitute, washed up, completely bankrupt spiritually. There's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. That You have got nothing, nothing. And when you recognize that, blessed are you because then you'll receive the kingdom of God. When you say, and the statement of your life is, Jesus, I need you, that's when you'll be blessed. That's the summary of last week's message. You're welcome. This week, we're going to look at the second one, and it says this. Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, not a lot, lot funny in this message today. It's kind of serious, actually. But when you look at a verse like this, you go, Aaron, does that make sense to tell me that, that I should be happy when I'm sad? That doesn't make any sense, right? Blessed are those who mourn. How can I be happy if I'm currently sad? You know, the truth is, and the reason why you are blessed is because I think that God shows up in very unique ways to people who are going through a bad day. I think there are ways that God will show up in your life because of the situation that you're going through that I'll never understand, and therefore to be envied because you'll understand and know Jesus in a way that I won't. Are you all hearing me? There are special ways he shows up. And it's this part of God that you may have never experienced simply because you've not, you, in the middle of your bad days, you've not chosen to lean into your relationship with God. Because I think we go through, through these bad days that we have, and we complain about them, we do anything and everything except lean into what God has for us. And God's got so much he wants to give us. In fact, let me just paraphrase this week's beatitude. He says, there is, there is happiness even in difficult days because we will experience the provision, purpose, and presence of God. I think that's what this verse is saying. And that's my hope for you today, is that if you're going through a bad day, that you learn to make room in your heart for what it is God is actually doing. Because I think you might be surprised by the peace of God that you'll enjoy. I think you might be surprised by the joy that you'll find by leaning into God in the middle of your bad day, that you can have comfort in the middle of your morning. Now, remember, the Beatitudes are, are countercultural. They're not just countercultural. They, they don't just go against human nature and not just secular culture. I think, I think oftentimes they go against Christian culture because I think as Christians, we have, we have this habit of picking up really bad theology. It's really easy for it to creep in. In fact, the, the authors, many of the authors in the New Testament address that on a regular basis. Who, who, who gypped you out of everything Jesus had for you? Who got you all confused? Who, who led you down a path this way? They asked those questions. And, and I have to ask that question today because there's a whole lot of us in this room that have some bad theology and some wrong views towards God. And what's happening is it's disrupting your relationship with God. You're not getting everything that Jesus has for you. And the main reason is, is because we have this expectation of who God is, and when we're met with reality, the gap between those equals our frustration, and we're angry at God. We're disappointed. So I'm going to give you three theological th things that we can correct around the subject of mourning and being comforted, and then I'm going to give you three practical ways to live through your bad day. So here's the first thing that we need to correct. The first thing is, is we think bad things shouldn't happen to good people. Bad things shouldn't happen to good people. <laughs> Wrong. That's just, that's just, that's, that, that's not a true statement. 
First of all, who is good? Because you ain't good. I'm not good. I'm not good. There's nobody good except Jesus. So if you're going to say good things shouldn't happen to bad, or bad things shouldn't happen to good people, well, guess what? I can show you a whole list of bad things that happened to Jesus uh, just a few days before he was crucified and leading up to the crucifixion. That's a whole lot of bad stuff. And he's good. And if he went through all that, guess what? I hate to break it to you guys. Kitten. Muffin. There's some bad days coming. There's some bad stuff that you're going to face. So why do bad things happen to good people? We believe in God, and we believe that God is good, and so we think, well, if God is good, he won't let bad things happen, and it's this flawed theology. We, we have this idea that everything is supposed to work out, that we're not supposed to have any pain, no discomfort, no resistance. Um, Alex, I'll take uh, things not promised in the Bible for 300, please. That's what you'll find underneath that. None of that's promised in the Bible. In fact, if you find it in the Bible, I would like to know where it is, because I've read that thing cover to cover, and it's not there. There's no promise that bad things won't happen to you. Now, we see that God intervenes a lot here on earth. He does do that, okay? But he doesn't owe us a response, not ever. Do you know there's no act you can do that puts God in your debt? Not ever, not one. Not even the Christian acts, coming to church on Sunday. Well, I came to church, I read my Bible, I put some money in the offering plate. God, why aren't you answering my prayers? How come this bad thing still happened to me? Because you've got flawed theology. Because bad stuff is going to happen. None of these things that you do, finishing growth track, leading a grow group, none of these things that you do, these actions you take, mean that you're not going to have a bad day. And like I said, God moves powerfully on earth. In fact, if we go to Hebrews 11, we like to read Hebrews 11, at least the first part of it, right? Because it's this hall of faith. And it talks about all the good things God did through these heroes of faith. He moved, moved, like we're talking about parting the Red Sea. We're talking about miracle food from manna on the ground to quail just flying in the sky and they're reaching up and grabbing it and just cooking it and eating it, right? Like meat for days, right? Quail Mageddon, they called it. <laughs> Fire that led them by night, pillar of cloud that led them by day through the wilderness. We're talking about the dead raised, water from a rock. Like, come on, on and on the list. They saw miracle after miracle. God intervened, God took care of them. But if you get through those stories, in chapter 11, you get halfway down, you'll find some things didn't work out so well for these guys. Verse 35, Hebrews 11. There were others who were tortured. That sounds like it might pinch just a little bit. They're persecuted. They're mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. You said, well, that's not fair. You're right. God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, do we see God that way? Do we see God that way, that when he does not respond to our prayers, that there's something better he had planned for us? Do we really believe that? Well, God, you didn't answer when I wanted, what I wanted, how I wanted. You didn't do that, so you must have something better. I think most of the time when we don't get what we want, when we want and how we want it, don't we pitch a fit? We turn into little kids in the toy section at Walmart who's not getting their way. You know what I'm saying? You know what I did to my kids when they threw themselves on the ground? I walked away. That's just a tip for you in parenting. That wasn't even in my notes. It's just free for you, but 
We, but we turn into that little kid, don't we? We pitch a fit. We want God to do what we want. We complain, God, you're not fair. And how come, how come you won't answer my prayer? You know, I've been praying. Let me just get personal here. I've been praying for my husband to come back to me, for our marriage to be restored for years. And you know what? I've seen it happen several times in other people in our church. How come you haven't done it for me? Or God, I've been praying to have a child. I've got friends that just had their fifth one, and they weren't even trying to have a fifth one. How come I can't have one? Familiar prayers. They all speak a pain. They all speak true desire. Like, I'm not putting any of those down. I'm just saying we pray and we complain when things aren't going the way we want them to go. It's not fair. But let me tell you something. Fair can't be what you're after. <laughs> no, sir. I'm thankful God isn't fair because if God was fair, we would pay for our sins ourselves. I'm glad he's not fair. It's called grace, y'all. It's called mercy. I'm not getting what I deserve, and I'm getting what I don't. Sign me up for that. I'm not after fair. We have to get our theology and our approach to God correct. God will comfort here on this earth. God will respond here on this earth, but sometimes God's response happens in heaven. Sometimes you will only experience that in heaven. And Paul by the way, likely the last words that he ever wrote, writing to his disciple Timothy in chapter 4, verse 18 of 2 Timothy, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Well, which one is it, Paul? Because I want to know which one it is. And he's like, yes. Is it, the, is it, is it that he'll rescue you or is it that he'll take you to, into eternity, into, into heaven? Yes. He's either going to rescue me or he's going to take me to heaven. For Paul, he was beheaded in prison. God rescued him, took him to heaven. Didn't rescue him from the beheading. Paul, is, Paul had a position, a posture, that to be absent from the body was to be present with Christ. He understood that I'm going to be rescued and I'm going to be with Jesus. If they take me out of this world, so what, what can they do to harm me? A mature faith does that, by the way which is what I want for you. I want you to have a mature faith that trusts God that way. That says, you know what? This season in my life, it's difficult. I don't like it, but God, I trust you. And I know that you'll bring me through it. I know that you'll bring me through it. If you're not gonna deliver me, you're gonna bring me through it. You're gonna give me my strength, the strength. You're gonna give me everything that I need. Even if being brought through it means that I'm gonna wind up in eternity today asking you some questions so that I I can hopefully have some understanding. There's a joy that cannot be taken from you by any circumstance. You won't be affected by your bad day like everyone else going through the same thing. You'll have what the Bible calls a peace that passes all understanding, where people will look at you and go, what is it? You're going through hell on earth right now. How in the world are you keeping your wits about you? How in the world are you walking in peace and not freaking out? It's Jesus. Jesus. Bad things do happen to good people. The second theology that we need to get right is uh, we think pain always means something is wrong. The disciples thought this. They came across the blind man once, and they're like, who sinned, his parents or him, that he was born blind? Pain doesn't mean that something is going wrong. It doesn't mean that there's, something, that there's something bad here. You don't have to ask the question when something goes wrong. Like, what did I do? I thought I was doing everything right. You don't have to ask the question, is God mad at me? The answer is no. I understand that these are normal responses to pain, but the biblical response 
to pain is a bit upside down. And I have to be honest with you, I struggle with this one. I want, and my prayer is for me and for all of you, that when we experience pain in our lives, that, that the response is not to complain and to ask why and woe is me, right? That the, that the response would be the upside down response that we find in, in, the, in James chapter one, verse two. James just kind of puts it out there. I read all this and, and my wife is right. She's like, dang, James. Listen to what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. I imagine somebody jumping up and down going, <laughs> so exciting. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. It's like the kids' faces when you give them the bikes here. You know, they just, <laughs> consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you get a bike and when everything's going well and when you got lots of money in the bank. No, that's not what it says. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. See, mature believers understand there's comfort to be had when you're going through a bad day because you know that God's up to something. God didn't create the bad day, but God will use that bad day. And you have to believe that in the middle of your testing that God is developing something within you. It's true that you need to know this about God, that he's a developer. He's never going to change that, by the way. He cares more about your character than he does your comfort. Some of you just need to adopt that for yourselves. He cares more about your character than he does your comfort. He's a heavenly father. Those of you that are parents and you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, I care about my kid developing too. I care about their character. I care about their integrity. I care about the relationships they're developing. I care about how they view themselves and how they view the world. Like, I want to help them with all these things. And it's not because you're mean that you make them go to bed at a certain time and that you won't let them eat sugar all day long. It's not that. It's that because you care. And your heavenly father cares about you too. And while he does not bring anything bad into your life, he will use it to shape you. Like it or not. God will use it to shape you. We get upset, though, because God isn't making us happy. And I think God's up in heaven going, that's not my job. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you like Jesus, who, by the way, was a man of sorrows, a man of much suffering. James finishes by saying, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's where I want you as your pastor. That's what I want you. I want, all, I want you to have the all that God has for you. I don't want you to be lacking anything. I want you to be mature believers. So get ready. When you're facing your worst day, God's going to do something, some work in you. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Now, I don't think, you know, Peter's under any kind of false assumption that all of us are going to scream and shout and be so happy that we've got problems, right? He said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, which that's kind of a hard phrase there to interpret what it ultimately means is that you'll have fulfillment in your life that you'll be fulfilled and it'll bring that fulfillment to you and glory and honor on the day when jesus christ is revealed to the world listen when, when the bible talks about god being glorified what it means is that people are going to look at your life and the jesus they see in your life and they're going to go i want that 
I want that, and they're going to turn their eyes to God. This is them glorifying God. You see that in Scripture. That's what we're talking about. Pain doesn't mean something is wrong. You need to believe that God is up to something, especially on your worst day. Because I think this is how most of our, our worst days start off. They start off with a phone call, and, and they start off with shock. The phone call, the text message, the email, the accident, whatever it is. The event happens, and we all kind of reel a little bit because it doesn't match our expectations for our days, for our lives, for our children, whatever that might be, whatever the loss is, whatever represents your worst day. We go through shock. Can't believe that it happened. Can't believe that it's true. Next place that we get to in that, in that, in that process is something called sorrow. This, this is grief. Do you know, we not only grieve when we lose a loved one here on this earth, when they pass into eternity, there's grief for that, but there's, just, there's grief over things, the, the uh, desired and hoped for future that'll never come to be anymore. We grieve over, over loss of opportunities. We can grieve over gas prices, and, and we can grieve over, over the state of our world. We can grieve over the war that's happening right now. We can grieve over the, 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 the disparaging issues within our country and the social injustices that are going on. We can grieve over all of those things. We, we can grieve over anything we hoped for, that, that it's just not going to happen anymore. But if we're not careful, we get stuck here in this place. We get stuck more in the shock state. We get stuck in this place where, where well, we're just sad about it all the time. And, and to, to grief, is, to grief is, is not a bad thing, by the way, but it's something you go through, not stay in. And if you don't go through it, what happens is you wind up in the next phase where you're just struggling. You're angry at God. You're angry at everybody else. And you get into that place where you're, asking a lot, you're doing a lot of ruminating. Ruminating is like this cycle you get stuck in, right? You understand that your brain is wired to give you hits of dopamine. That's the reward chemical to figure things out. And so when stuff goes wrong, asking why is a very common thing. We want to understand because our brain wants to give us that dopamine hit like, you figured it out. You resolved it. You reconciled it. Yeah, you Sherlocked home this situation. But, but we don't have that opportunity in everything that we face. So some of us get stuck in the struggle. We get stuck at asking why. Why this? Why did this happen? Why did my loved one pass? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did that person abuse me? Why? 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 There's no answer. There, there's, there may be no answer this side of eternity. It's only when we decide to surrender that we get to move past it. That we surrender and say, God, I don't like any of this, but I trust you. I trust that you're up to something. And I may never understand this, but I know you got my back. And when you surrender, God says, okay, I'm going to get involved now. And he begins a process he calls sanctification where he starts cleaning up your life, where he starts taking that thing and healing it in your life. And then you wind up in the last place that unless you surrender, you don't go through sanctification. You don't go through a process where God starts cleaning it up. You wind up in a place called service, a place where now I went through this, I'm all healed up, and God's allowing me to use my pain as my purpose. Oh, come on, somebody. Where you get to a place you start talking about that thing that used, to, that used to keep you stuck. And now it's the thing that has catapulted you into your future because God is using it. That's called redemption, my friends. 
And this is where God wants us to be. This is the process. This process is why mourners can still be comforted. Pain doesn't always mean something is wrong. It means that God is working. Here's the third thing I want you to fix in your theology, and I promise I'll wrap up the last three practical things really fast, okay? For those of you who are like, he said he's got three more things. <laughs> I hear you. I know you. I got you. The last theological thing we've got to get, get right is that we think we know what's best. Don't we? We think in our infinite wisdom that we know what's best for us, what's best for everybody, right? We pray how we want God to move. We complain when he doesn't. You know, one of my favorite, my favorite artists, uh, his name is Garth Brooks. He uh, has this song called Unanswered Prayers, yeah. right? You all know the song? If you don't know the song, he... Uh, he talks about going to a county fair in his hometown, and he runs into a girl that he had prayed for all throughout his high school years that God would make her his, like he was his girlfriend. And he remembers praying hard, but it's some time later. What's hilarious is it's just this week I was having a conversation with one of my old classmates about our 25-year reunion, and I'm like, dear Lord, I'm this guy. I'm this guy, <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's just stuff that he prayed for, and he prayed for this girl. And so he meets this girl, and, and he's, like, he's like, man, we, we couldn't really remember what made us like each other in the first place. We didn't have much in common. A lot had changed. And who she was is not somebody that I, I think I would have wanted today. And he said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Some, sometimes I thank God. He, he knows what he's doing. That when, when I think I know what's best, God really knows what's best. We're little children. We don't know what's best. We know very little. God sees the beginning and the end of our lives, and he knows what's best. The Bible says this about God, and actually this is God speaking. He said, this plan of mine, and this is Isaiah 55, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. In other words, if you were to look at the story and the way God has written your story, you'd go, no thanks. I talk about our journey as a church and starting off in a funeral home. I think I would have said, no, thanks. No, thanks. Why? Ah, that just doesn't seem, in every venue, in every place that I get into, in every conversation I ever have with church planners about starting uh, in a funeral home, they laugh because they think I'm joking because it's just not the right venue to, to start in. It's just not the right venue. It does not make sense. But God sent me and God provided, didn't he, April? And God provided and guess what? We started in a funeral home. Yep. There's part of your story, too, and part of your Jesus journey that since you became a Christian, you're like, uh, could we just go ahead and skip this part? I didn't like this one. <laughs> but God says, the way I've written your story, there's parts of it. You wouldn't have written it that way. And all of us, if we, if we sat down and had a conversation, you'd probably tell me parts of your story that you're like, yeah, no, nah, this, is, this is one that I would have avoided. Pre-Jesus, post-Jesus, mid-Jesus, whatever, Jesus. He goes on to say that, that neither are my thoughts the same as yours. This is God just, just showing off here. He said, for just as the, high, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. God said, hey, the distance between how I think and how you think, are, it's, it's just massive. You, you don't even think the way I do. You don't see what I see. And mature Christians go, move from mourning to comfort because they believe this, because they believe that God's ways aren't our ways. Uh, and let me just help you. We ain't him. 
We have a hard time reconciling what we consider bad continuing when we serve a good God. We think we know best and we don't. This is hard to share, but this is our reality. Isaiah 57, this is now Isaiah talking. This is just a couple chapters later. And he's talking about good people. He said, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand. Right? We don't understand when good things happen or bad things happen to good people. What God was doing was protecting them from evil to come. You go, wow. I never thought about it that way. It's because you don't think about it how God does. To be clear, again, God does not cause bad things to happen. Every good thing comes from him. God's not capable of evil. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that since sin has entered in, we've been under a curse, not just humanity, but all of creation. The Bible says all of creation groans and is longing for redemption, to be made brand new, all of it. And so bad things happen, and God will use them if we allow them to. We have a choice, right? If you hear me, I'm telling you, you have a choice. You can stay stuck in the struggle bus if you want to. You can stay stuck in the part where, where you are, are grieving. Because God's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force his ways on you. His ways are best, but you've got to decide that for yourself. You've got to decide that and get on board. He won't force you to. You choose to lean into that pain, to trust him, and acknowledging you don't know best, but this you do know about him, Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That there is an experience with God that is waiting to happen if in the middle of your bad day, you'll lean in. You'll lean in and you'll let him work. Mature believers understand bad days are coming. Pain doesn't mean something's wrong. And and they also know that we don't know best. What we can trust no matter what is that God's got this. He's looking for those who will admit, hey God, we we don't like this, but we trust you. And we're looking forward to asking you all the questions when we get to heaven. We want to understand so how do we move from mourning to comfort? It's, it's, right, it's right perspective. Right perspective of our, of our earthly experience and who our God is. Now here's some practical things. I'm going to wrap it up really quick. I'm going to give you a playbook for your worst day. If you haven't taken notes so far, go ahead and start right now. This is it. This is the good stuff. So what do you do on your worst day? I want you to do three things. They're found here in this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing, he says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, Paul, by the way, had lots of troubles. If you go to the book of Acts, you can read some of the stuff that Paul went through. He faced some serious troubles, probably even more traumatic than some of the stuff that we have faced in our lives. He had many troubles. He said, he said uh, that, that, I'm going to start over. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, So that, there's a purpose, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now watch Paul, he gets really personal here. He gets really personal here in verse 8. He says, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. I think Paul is letting you know that he felt suicidal at this moment, that there was just too much. He didn't see a way out. He said, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, 
but on God who raises the dead. (laughs) He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then, watch this, watch this. There's a purpose for us being comforted so we can comfort others. And then there's a then. Then many will give thanks. See, what God wants to do in your life is always attached to how it will impact other people. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you for someone else. Many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So here's the three things when you're going through the bad day. Number one is refocus. Refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. Listen, when you're in your your worst moment, take a deep breath. Stop. Take a deep breath and go, you know, if something's happening to me, it's because God wants to do something in me. That's that verse in James, that, that, and Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is just a, a recap of that, of, of where he said that. He said, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So, so when you're facing your bad days, when you refocus, like, God, I know you want to do something in me, start your prayer life instead of complaining about it and asking God to change it. Start asking God, what are you trying to teach me in the middle of this? What work are you trying to complete? What do you want me to learn? Because remember, God is a developer, and he will use your pain to develop you. So if you'll get curious instead of complaining, you'll pray different, and you'll refocus on what's happening within you, not to you. And you'll learn that your pain is either a jail that imprisons you or a school that shapes you. So we get to choose that, so we refocus. Number two, remember, God always delivers. Do you know what God's... God's uh, um, faithfulness record is it isn't like two out of three it's not nine out of ten it's a hundred percent god is faithful he's faithful oh and his faithfulness isn't contingent on whether you're faithful or not he's faithful regardless of your unfaithfulness that's what i like because i'm a hot mess on the best day and god's faithful you don't have to amen so loud on that i mean unless you're amening god's faithfulness God always delivers. Back to our verses. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Look at the pattern. He has, he will, he will continue. He has, he will, he will continue. Past, present, future. This is who God is. He'll deliver you. He already has. He's delivering you right now. He will deliver you in the future. You know, the best predictor of God's present help is his past faithfulness. Uh Uh-huh. So refocus when something happens to you. Not praying, God, take it away. Praying, God, teach me. And remember that God's gotten you through it before. You know, Shannon and I, uh, we we like finding a a show that we can watch together. And uh, we we kind of insist on it. We, we, We... we, we like shows that some people don't like, but there's this one particular show that my mom turned us on to called Poldark, and, uh, and it's kind of a, it's like a, a period piece. This guy after the Revolutionary War, and anyway, we really liked it, and there's, there's all these, they're really good at cliffhangers in this show. Anybody ever watch a show that's got good cliffhangers in it, and you're just like, oh, man, what is going to happen? And so what do you wind up doing? Next. Next, and then, and then at some point in time, Netflix, Netflix shames you at two in the morning. Hey, are you still watching? Cheeto streaks right down here. You know what I'm talking about? 
thank God. I love you all. You're just like me. So it happened, 2 a.m., we're watching this show, and like, is Ross going to die? Like, is he going to make it? And, and it's like, well, there's at least four more episodes of the season, so I'm going to go ahead and guess that, yes, he does. And when it was a cliffhanger at the end of the season, instead of staying up until four in the morning to watch the beginning of the next season, it was, well, there's two more seasons, so I'm going to guess that Ross is going to be just fine, you know, the main <laughs> character in the story. It was just like... So, so, so sometimes understanding that, that there's more to come, that there's another season of your life, that there's, there is a next, there is something else, that, that can be inspirational to you, that can move you past the moment where you're panicking, right? And so, you know, when that settled us for the night, I want to offer something that maybe settle you. Because as a church, we forget there's more to come. In fact, you know, most of the stuff written in the Bible is stuff that's already happened, but there's one book at the end, called Revelation. And I've gone ahead and flipped to the last pages. I'm going to give you a peek at how this all ends. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. If you want to know if there's something after the pain that you're facing today, there is. There's heaven. There's the promise of this, that everything will be made new. We need to remember that. So in your playbook, refocus. What's God doing in you? Teach me something, God. Remember, God's been faithful before, and he'll be faithful again. And here's the last one. Rely. Rely on solid relationships, guys. Rely on solid relationships. Remember what Paul said? He'll continue to deliver us as you help us. As you. There's a group of people that he's surrounded with. Maybe they weren't with him in the physical, but they, what were they doing? They're praying. They're praying. Church, we must become a people who pray. There's prayer every Saturday, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., right here in this building. It's for you. It's for all of us. We must become a people who prayer is our first response, not our last resort. That we are people who pray for one another. You need to have people in your life that you can rely on to pray for you. You know, I don't stand here and do this alone. I never have. I have stood on the shoulders of faithful people. People that have been here since the beginning. My wife, Kyle and Derek, Tim and Amy, been here since the very beginning. And so many other people, my friends that surround me, my pastors, Gary and Conan, my mom and my dad, all of you who I, I hope you pray for me. I hope you pray for your pastors. We pray for you, but do you have that circle? That's why we think grow groups are so important, right? Because, because you need to be in a place where people not only know your name, but they know your dirt too. But they, they know what's going on in your life. They know, they know what's beyond the smile that you've put painted on your face so that you can hide the pain you've got in your heart. 
You need somebody who knows. Somebody who prays. Somebody who'll serve. Somebody who'll encourage. Somebody to check on you. You need to be in relationship with one another so that you can rely on each other in your worst days. You want to get through your bad days? Here's your playbook. Refocus. Remember and rely. Rely on those in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's quite a few of us that are facing our worst days right now. Some of us are just going through difficult days. Some of us are in our worst days we've ever faced. We've never faced the difficulties. We've never faced the pressures. We've never faced the socioeconomic issues. We've never faced a world that looks like it looks. We've never faced uh, political tensions like we're facing. We've never faced all that we're facing just in the world and then let alone in our families, within our marriages, within our hearts. We're facing so many difficult things. And God, I pray today, I pray, God, that for those of us who are going through it, for those of us that are grieving and that are mourning, Lord, that they would be comforted. God, that they would experience your peace and your joy. Father, that we would be a people who are known for trusting you having a peace that passes all understanding, for having joy that this world in no circumstance can take from us. I speak peace, and I speak your comfort over them today in Jesus' name. As we continue to pray in this moment, every head bowed, every eye closed, there might be somebody in this room today, what you need most is God's peace, you need God's joy, but that starts with having a relationship with God. And maybe you don't have that. Maybe at one time you did. Maybe you've walked far from him. That was my story. Or maybe you've literally never had a relationship with Jesus. Didn't think you could. Thought God was mad at you. Thought you were unworthy. Thought you just couldn't have it. Today I'm here to tell you that you can. God's not angry at you. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be in relationship with other believers too. He wants you to have everything. Everything that Jesus paid for you to have. And so today... You begin that by saying, I'm in, I need Jesus. And if you're here today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But if today you're going to pray that prayer and you say, Aaron, that's for me today. I think you need to do something. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or stand up. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to pray that prayer with you today. Slip your hand up. Do it now. Say, yep, that's me. That's me right now. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. All of us, let's pray together. Church, nobody prays alone. We're we're welcoming new family members today. Amen, everybody? So nobody prays alone. And remember, it's not the words that make the difference here. It's it's your heart that believes. When you speak this out, it'll change everything. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship, where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.